Hello and welcome to To The Edge and Beyond, a series that makes sense of powerful innovation for real-world applications. It's brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hello and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. I'm James Kent, and today we're going to discuss how open source technologies are being used to analyze data at the edge. We'll look at some of the challenges enterprises face as edge analytics become more and more relevant, and we'll look at how open source technologies can provide developers with a variety of analytic options capable of addressing a wide range of use cases. I have two guests with me today. First is Brad Corian. Brad is the Director of Strategic Software Architecture at Intel. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, James. It's going to be fun. It'll be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And next I have Jesus Centeno, Chief of Staff and Innovation Strategy, Office of the CTO at Tibco Software. Jesus, how are you doing today? Doing great, James. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Brad and Jesus, why don't we start with a brief description of what the edge is and why data is being analyzed there? Great. Yeah, I think first the edge is a new term because you, you can't have a new thing in technology without a new term. But if we take the literal definition of the edge, you know, something like frontier or something, you know, at the, uh, you know, the edge where the transitions to something else, um, we think of that as being where the data is coming from. And edge computing means to put the compute and the analytics and the processing as close to the source of data as you can. So quick example, if you have a car that's using automatic fuel injection and there's a sensor trying to determine how much gasoline should go into the engine, and you have a little computer that's analyzing that sensor to make a decision on the gasoline injection, that's technically edge computing because you're doing it as close to where that data is being generated as possible. Mm. In contrast, if you bring that data all the way back to a cloud server to make a decision, you know, that might be an internet of things, but I would not call that edge computing because you're, you're making the actual computation quite a ways away from that, that distant edge. Jesus, I'm not sure that you're going to be able to do a better description than Brad, but, uh, do you have anything you want to add there? Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, that the main the main aspect is always contrasting with cloud computing, right? And and how much more costly it is to send the data to the to the cloud, to do the processing, then the inferencing, get the the insights that you need, and then send back those insights to the edge device to take action. Um, you know, aside from the cost, it's just the 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 time aspect of that equation as well, right? Like so, so you you usually try to get as close to real time as possible to make those decisions and react to the IoT events. And Jesus, can you describe some of the complex challenges being faced by businesses that want to collect and make sense of data at the edge? How might this data be used to solve problems and drive their companies forward? Sure, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, I think um, usually the, the top three main challenges that, that we tend to see, right, is uh, number one, uh, context. Right. So as, as we talk about edge computing, usually that comes along with the, the, you know, the ability to deploy machine learning capabilities to the edge. So then running those machine learning models close to the data. So as, as you do that, it's always important to be able to understand the context, the, the context of an anomaly. Right. So, so usually these uh, models, they are intended to detect anomalies at the edge in real time. 
So in order to best support the explainability of the ML model, then and, and have like an easy uh, way to support the improvement of the model as well, you know, through through multiple iterations, is uh, you know the need to get all the context or as much context as possible, right? So so that's usually a challenge, right? Because uh, it's not just being able to capture the context, but then uh, associate the context or, or match the context to the specific time when the anomaly took place. Another big challenge is uh, scalability. Um, so, so thinking in terms of, you know, how you go from uh, addressing edge computing, let's say like you have multiple stores, right? To deploying, you know, first the capabilities to one store, then to five, to 50, to 500. Right, like as you as you go up in that in that uh, journey, the 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 complexity of the the challenges at the infrastructure level they uh, you know significantly increase as as you go along, right? So so the the scalability aspect of uh, edge computing, I think it's it's another big challenge. And I would say last uh, but not least is the the ability to transform information into action, right? So. We talk about you know the need to grab the context as, as events happen, and then doing this at a scale. But then the last question really is always okay. How do you get, how, how can you make make it as easy as possible to transform the, that information or those events or that inferencing into specific actions? Right, like the automation of that next step. That's that's usually a big challenge as well. So, you know, when you think of IoT platforms, it's always good to make sure that like you can check as many of these checkboxes from the get-go, right? So then you don't have to change platforms along the way. I want to hit on one thing that Jesus when you talked about, you know, five to fifty to five hundred locations, right? So you have this basic blocking and tackling of how do you get the computers running, get the software loaded, updated, models deployed, and the connectivity of those events. But overlay that with the fact that there's so much enthusiasm around cloud computing for the, the velocity of innovation you get when you can just experiment with, say, a website. The three of us went to a website right now. We might see three different versions of the homepage because they're doing testing to see which version is most effective. Maybe it's yeah. personalized for the, each one of us individually. So we've created this whole suite of tools for our developers to create experiments and innovation and instant access to hardware. They can just scale up performance, add a model, try it out, pull it down. And then we go out to the edge and say, now do that across a thousand stores or do that in, the, in, in 15 hospitals. And they say, well, what tools do we have? And that's when you start to realize what kind of problems we face when we want to take those same concepts from the cloud, but do it at that far edge where people are trying to make the best customer experience possible you know, but a long ways away from, you know, where they happen to be sitting in front of their computer. Well, I think that's a great segue into my next question. Uh, let's discuss the power of open source projects in helping accelerate innovation at the edge. I'd like to know a little bit about Project Air and how does this solution benefit this type of innovation? Jesus. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, James. Yeah. So, um, Project Air is part of a, a larger program, uh, Tipco called Tipco Labs. Uh, Tipco Labs is is a program that focuses on different areas of innovation, and Project Air specifically focuses on edge computing. So you can you you know at the core you can think of Project Air as as your uh, IoT platform 
that is going to help you connect the edge to the rest of your ecosystem, typically the cloud or on-premises number of of systems. As you connect both worlds, then Project Air allows you to register and interact IoT devices. So usually that part of your ecosystem, the IoT side, the edge side, is going to be very rich in terms of uh, diversity, right? Um, You know, the number of devices, the type of devices, the taxonomy of the data, so Project Air is really good at you know standardizing the data that comes in in order to make sense of it, and we do that uh, through uh, what we call pipelines. So you know that ability of processing the IoT data, and as we process the data, capture the uh, as we were talking about before, right? Capturing those IoT events in real time, and then reacting to those events um, in an automated way. Right. So as you define those pipelines, then you can uh, specify how to react or what action to take uh, if a specific event uh, takes place. Now, a lot of these platforms or type of platforms, they tend to uh, lock customers out of their data. So one of the key advantages of Project Air is that allows you to stay in control, you know, stay in ownership of your data. You can always uh, manipulate and, and transport the data in any way needed. And another another key aspect is the uh, the ML ops aspect of it, right? Like as we were uh, touching on that before. So Project Air is really good at um, enabling you to deploy machine learning models at the edge and run those models very close to the data, and then do the uh, basically the ML ops aspect of it, right? Like manage uh, the different versions over time of the models, uh, manage the explainability of the model, manage the inferencing that comes out of the model. And then take action, uh, you know, upon on the, uh, the the inferencing of the machine learning model. So uh, Project Air, you know, you can think of of uh, sort of like a multi-layer platform that is highly extensible in every layer, and it allows you to incorporate different type of feeds, such as computer vision, which is uh, you know one key aspect that we've been uh, focusing as part of the uh, the strategic partnership with with Intel. Yeah, I think the you know open source aspect is exposed throughout Project Air, but the average user won't even realize it Mm. because we're using the open source pieces and the communities behind them to provide kind of a solid and reliable footing for the IoT platform. Uh, There's open source project for the data flow pipelines that that Jesus mentioned, open source ingredients around the MLOps pieces. But by creatively pulling them together, we get to move quickly and through some of the assembly pieces, but then focus time and attention on the details that really set the capabilities apart and unlock that value for the users. Nice answers. I like it. Brad, how are Intel and TIBCO integrating open source ingredients for developers to have full visibility of the stack and extension points to integrate other tools and systems? We discovered each other through one of the open source communities called EdgeX Foundry uh, because we had similar motivations. We want to work with the, the community, adopt these projects to solve greater business use cases. And that integration is the key word because most of the data that people need is present. It's probably already in their store, in their hospital, in their factory, but it's probably behind another piece of software. It's behind another protocol. It's behind another IoT device. And so integrating those things to be able to unlock that data and find it can be a very expensive part of building out these solutions. 
And so open source projects like EdgeX Foundry, uh, as well as uh, Flogo and uh, some of the other pieces in Project Air go a long ways to making a professional, maybe a subject matter expert as opposed to a software engineer, able to quickly find that information they need for their use case, pull it together, extract it, and, and put it into the the analytics pipelines that Jesus was referring to. I, I like, obviously, the, the, the story, um, you know, just simply because uh, re really highlights the power of open source. Uh, both organizations having a focus on um, a specific open source framework from a third party, in this case, uh, you know, Edge Expandery from, from Linux Foundation. And, and you know, through, through that framework or through that community, both organizations have found a lot of traction with other Larger organizations, but more importantly, you know, when you when you start trying to define, um, you know, the the collaboration in a space as complex and as rich as IoT, right? Like having that common denominator and 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 common view on on how to approach, you know, things like connectivity, things like uh, you know, uh, data pipelining at the edge, right? Things things of that nature, you know, having the same view, it it just goes a really really long way, right? So so. I would say that's that has been the uh, the key ingredient of the of the strategic collaboration. Brad, could you shed some light on OpenVINO, which is something Intel developed? Uh, what is it, and what does it do? Sure thing. So OpenVINO is a platform that helps take deep learning models, artificial intelligence models that have been built and trained on other platforms. But depending on where you're intending to run that model, we'll optimize it for that particular platform. So, for example, in Intel's basket of, of platforms, we have the traditional CPU that uh, we've built all of our daily compute experiences on. We've got GPUs, which are used for gaming and other forms of analytics. We've got video processing units. You know, so we got just with Intel's point of view, we've got at least three, but there are more. We've, you know, won't even enumerate them. And so now you bring to a developer, you say, I want to run this model. And the developer says, great, how do I run it? I know how to do it on this platform. How do I run it on this platform? How do I run it on this other platform? And it creates a, a friction that slows down. And very likely also, it's not tuned for performance. So all of that leads up to this project called OpenVINO, which basically ingests one of these trained models. And then based on where you want to run it, produces a very optimized piece of software so that if you're using a CPU, if you're using a GPU, if you're using the VPU, you will have the most tuned version of that model that should give you the best analytics performance possible on something that comes from Intel. And so there's a suite of software around it that, that supports that optimization process and supports the runtime. Uh, but basically OpenVINO, you know, in shorthand, you know, refers to this, this set of tools uh, and it's integrated into uh, project there uh, with something that's um, called our video analytics serving. Uh, but that's all part of OpenVINO from, from our perspective. Brad, you just mentioned video analytics serving or VA serving. This is another open source project Intel created um, that deploys an API-based video pipeline scale engine. Uh, I'd like you to unpack that a bit for us, if you don't mind. It doesn't just roll off the tongue. It doesn't come across. <laughs> That <laughs> uh, is a mouthful, but there's kind of a difference. So what I mentioned about what OpenVINO does, the optimization and the, the runtime with performance, 
That's great when you are that person who is trying to ensure optimal performance for a given model. But when you need to send that out to a thousand stores or to 150 hospitals, right? Now we have a slightly different problem. Mm. It's not so much does the model run and does the model run optimally, but it's how do you connect it to the cameras? How do you make sure the camera video size is the right, the color space is the right color space, the frame rate is the right frame rate for all of the other attributes of what you're trying to analyze. And so VA serving is a, another open source project uh, that allows you to, if you have 10 cameras, you can spin up 10 inference pipelines that starts pulling in the video from each of the 10 cameras, pre-processing the video and sending that you know, process video into the inference engine so the, the computer vision algorithm can make a decision and say, oh, there's somebody in lobby, somebody in the waiting room, let's notify the desk attendant. And that event, that insight that comes out then is sent into the platform. And so in the case of Project Air, that insight goes into the one of the data flows that now, you know, snakes its way back into the business use case, trying to bring some some value to it. So it's another scale utility that we're investing in along with the community. Uh, to make it really easy to uh, quickly deploy these kinds of technologies at scale and across, you know, geographic distances. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the the main thing I think to to highlight here is um, the importance of both frameworks for Project Air. For us, you know, for, from from the Tipco side, I mean, the uh, the value of OpenBeam on Bass is is priceless. Jesus, uh, could we also talk about EdgeX Foundry? and how Project Air utilizes it in populating data sources, feeding its data flows. Sure thing, yeah. So um, so I think Brad mentioned, um, you know, Project Air ends up being the, uh, we usually refer to as the, the trifactor, right? But like basically a, a project that comprehends uh, multiple frameworks. So Ajax being the, you know, one of the, the core frameworks that we that we use. And the framework itself comes with uh, multiple different type of services, right? So um, when we talk about how easy it is to extend Project Air in different directions, really what we're referring to is how easy it is to extend any of these layers of services that come in the framework itself. It's it's a very extremely flexible framework, right? And as I mentioned uh, before, right, it's it was it was um, or it is certainly one of the key ingredients of the strategic collaboration between Tipco and Intel, and even further with other organizations in the space as well. So, Brad and Jesus, once you've combined the data from devices that are part of the open source EdgeX Foundry framework, the video analytics serving from Intel's OpenVINO, and microservices and data flows from Project Flogo, which is an open source ecosystem for event-driven applications, what does this combination give you? Jesus called it the trifecta, and we called it that because it's almost the basic three things that allow us to build any Edge application. It gives you the access to the source of data. It gives you an ability to, to analyze the data, and it gives you an ability to, to carry that data wherever you need to carry it to, whatever integrations you need. But it, it gives it to us in a really handy fashion because Tipco team has invested in the user interface to make a great no-code experience. So subject matter experts, not software engineers, can pull these things together. It's container-based, so we can use all of the orchestration capabilities of the cloud the whole cloud industry has been so focused on, we can apply that down to the edge and it's all orchestrated directly to the edge. So again, subject matter expert sits back in their comfortable chair, working from home, wherever they are, they drag and drop the data pipeline they need with the analytics embedded. 
they click deploy, magic happens in the background, and all of a sudden we have this data pipeline pushed out to a thousand retail stores. It's it's really just a great way to let the users focus on the business problem they're solving while you know not having to worry about all of the nitty-gritty details of, of the technology. And Jesus, what are the biggest components of implementing a solution of this caliber? Yeah, that's that that is a very, very uh big question. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like probably we would need like a full hour just to talk about that. But I, I think in my mind, there's there's four big um, components, right? So the, the first one you could say, I, I would say is the machine learning development aspect, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we talk about, uh, you know, the edge computing, right? As, as partially the ability to deploy machine learning models at the edge and run the models close to the to the data itself. Um, usually one one kind of like a chicken and an egg type of situation that we see in the field is that uh, in order to get the development of those ML models started, you need data, right? And in order to get the data, then you need to have the, the, the pipelining in place, right? To know even what data is going to be relevant to for, for the development of the, the ML model, right? So having a, 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 a strategy, right, on how to source an initial batch of data or images or video to do the development and have a uh, you know as part of the the, the extended platform or, or solution right have an easy way to develop the the models and train them that is a big big aspect right another big component uh, or consideration for the implementation is the scalability factor that we've been talking about um, I'm not going to rehash it again, right? But like, I just want to mention as another as another big big factor, and um, I would say uh, the support model is uh, usually um, underestimated, right? Like the relevance of uh, an adequate support model for IoT. If you think of IoT and all the different components that go into that wide umbrella, it's it's truly a multidisciplinary uh, sport, right? So. When you think of the support model, you you gotta make sure that you have like all the different levels of expertise needed for an end-to-end end-to-end solution, right? So overall, I would say uh, when it comes to the considerations for you know the, the the successful implementation of an end-to-end IoT solution or platform, the best idea is you know go with a crawl, walk, run approach. You know, start simple, start with, you know, one use case, one model, you know, start with one device of each kind that you have in mind, and then uh, start growing from there. Brad, Jesus just did a great job of covering some of the biggest uh, considerations, components. Uh, What other considerations might we need to know about? Well, one of the biggest, the biggest changes is in the behavior of the teams of companies. So, you know, we've been talking about project air, but if, if you kind of put project air to the side and just talk about what any team should do to start getting ready for edge computing, we need to change behaviors and practices. Mm. We've had Linux computers and Windows servers in stores and hospitals for, for decades. You know, there's nothing new necessarily about having a computer in a store. Sure. But what we're talking about here with ML apps and deep learning and collecting data and using containers and using orchestration These are cloud practices that are brand new to this environment. And so we really need to get teams to start playing with it, teams to start developing those calm practices, start to develop that muscle memory so that it becomes natural for them. 
think that's one of the biggest changes about this. The technologies in some way aren't new. The developers aren't necessarily new, but we're crossing the technologies and developers in the domain in a way that is new and challenging. And I think is something that if a company doesn't start now, that learning curve is just going to hurt them later mm. if they just stay at the sidelines, not dabbling in this to, to get started. And, you know, right in there is this concept of DevOps developer operations where the developer is handling the operational side of their own software. And that has been defined in the cloud culture. And essentially that long intro I gave is summarized in how do you start to use DevOps practices with your teams for these kinds of edge and on-premises compute applications. Well, Brad and Jesus, this has been a great discussion, uh, but to bring it all to a close, I'd love to hear uh, more about some of the use cases for different verticals that use open source frameworks to enable IoT for digital transformation. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, I I think we've been, as part of the collaboration, been focusing on two main industries so far, manufacturing and retail. So I'll, I'll describe some of the manufacturing top use cases and then uh, Brad can, can do the same for, for retail. But uh, on, on the manufacturing side, um, definitely the the anomaly detection wide umbrella is is a big topic right and and this is uh go, goes into different directions right whether it's uh, defect image classification or you know anomaly detection but it, you know done in in creative ways right so one of the the, the cool demos that I've seen recently is uh you know taking uh waves of sound for example from machines, and uh, doing the analysis of the sound itself to determine if the machine is going to need maintenance or not, or if it's about to to, to break somehow, right? So um, this anomaly detection uh, use case keeps keeps uh, innovating itself over and over. I would say so. There's there's also you know the the predictive maintenance aspect, right? So especially uh, when when you talk about uh, facilities that they are, you know, hard to get to. So, for example, think of uh, an oil rig in the middle of the ocean, uh, where uh, you know you know that uh, a possible uh, break of of the uh, that the production line is going to be super expensive, right? And then you're going to have to incorporate, for example, drones flying with cameras that they're going to take images of the rig from the top and then analyze those images um, to determine if if there's a need for for maintenance or not, right? So all the all these kind of like you know innovative aspects of traditional use cases uh, are, are becoming very relevant in in manufacturing overall. And um, another another key trend that we're seeing is the um, you know interesting overlaps, right? So for example, there's there's augmented reality applied to manufacturing use cases, right? Where you know we talk about like computer vision as mainly cameras taking uh, feeds of images or, or videos. But AR devices can be used as another source as well. So AR devices having the, the ability to capture images, right? And then um, being able to read, um, you know, whether it's tags or codes or, you know, whatever it is, or, you know, even counts of people, for example, right? In many cases, uh, much faster than the human eye. And then, you know, you know uh, basically take that as a feed and incorporate the, the, the machine learning uh, at the edge aspect, right? To do an inferencing in real time and take action on the spot. So interesting trends that we're seeing in manufacturing for sure. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, Asus teed up the retail side and you know, retail has gone through a tremendous amount of, of stress with our global pandemic 
you know, no matter where you live, you're still, you know, a shopper and you still need to, to, to go into a store of some kind. And it's really focused the world on convenience. All these innovations, curbside pickup, you know, delivery platforms, things like that, you know, have kind of set aside for the moment the experience side of retail. But in, in the whole, both the um, frictionless, I just want a delightful, fast in-store experience, or I want a deep and rich and entertaining experience, like you're going to Disney or a theme park. Both of those are going to be driven by innovation that has to be experimental. It has to be quick. You have to be quick to try it, quick to pull it back if it's not working. It's going to involve all sorts of analytics because you either have to understand your customer's journey, both for the frictionless, let's make it quick and easy, or because we want to give them the most delightful, you know, rich experience we can in our theme park. We're going to be using computer vision because a camera is the ultimate sensor. And so at the retail landscape is just going to be chock full of small bites and large bites where people can really dig into um, using analytics and edge computing uh, to improve their their customers, you know, shopping experience or their, you know, their visit, their their brand experience with your store. So uh, it, it, it's going to be exciting. We, we've been working on some smaller demos uh, that we'll, we'll probably call out in our conclusion. But, uh, you know, there's you know, so much really uh, it's in flight in the in the world of retail right now. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, this whole conversation, there's so much to be excited about. Uh, Brad Corian, Director of Strategic Architecture at Intel and Jesus Centeno, Chief of Staff and Innovation Strategy at Tipco Software. Thank you both for being part of the show today. If folks want to learn more about the solutions at Intel and Tipco, what's the best place for them to go to learn more? Jesus? Sure, yeah. I'll, I'll try to um, spell them out, the websites, <laughs> to make it easy. But uh, starting with a joint website that we have with, with Intel, uh, that talks about computer vision and, uh, you know, there's there's a solution overview that uh, summarizes a lot of the, the, the key points that we've been discussing today. The easiest way to get there is uh, go to tipco.com forward slash resources forward slash computer vision forward slash Intel. So that's that's definitely a, a, a good stop. If you want to learn more about Project Air, there's a couple of ways. Uh, you can just simply go to YouTube, look for the Tipco uh, YouTube channel, and then you know you're going to see a lot of demos on the uh, you know so some of the demos that Brad uh, referred to. They are they are recorded there. And uh, you know if you want to learn more about Tipco Labs and Project Air specifically, uh, tipco.com forward slash tipco dash labs. That's that's an easy way to to get it started, and then I'll go even more. Yeah, I won't be able to spell it out as a URL. It is a crazy long URL because it's a wiki site. But uh, there's an open source community uh, part of our EdgeX Foundry group called the Open Retail Reference Architecture, and uh, it's a bunch of companies coming together, and we're blueprinting um, retail use cases with these basic uh, edge computing building blocks. Everything we've been talking about this conversation is being represented either in spirit or in practice in the blueprints. And uh, to find it, simply Google open retail reference architecture. And if the, the URL contains EdgeX Foundry in it, that's the right one you want to click on. And you can find all sorts of things from there. And uh, 
you know, I don't know when this will drop, but um, we're looking at a, a retail use case with Project Air as part of open retail reference architecture uh, that uh, the team has been building and investing in, uh, which should be going in probably around the time this this episode publishes. But you know, fingers crossed on that. And last but not least, um, an, an easy way also to keep track of all the cool stuff that we've been working on is to follow us on LinkedIn. If you go to LinkedIn and search for my name, Jesus Centeno, I, I, I think I'm the only one that will show up there. So, <laughs> Bradley and Jesus, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. It was great. Thank you, James. Yeah. And thank you for tuning into this episode of To the Edge and Beyond, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Make sure you're subscribing to this channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Simplecast to hear more from the Intel Internet of Things Group. I'm James Kent. Let's talk again soon.